Hello and welcome to the Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Sheradin, and me, Jesse Button. Are we in for a treat today, you guys? We are interviewing the one and only Lucas Sheradin. And I'm so excited for you to hear his story from traveling the world and preaching to tens of thousands of people at a time to, you know, the biggest lessons that he learned from being $100,000 in debt. It's an incredible story, and we get to hear from Coach Drew his take on the difference between falling and failing. Welcome to the Leaderverse. So I'd love for people to pay attention to just the simple cadence of questions. What happened? What'd you learn? What happened? What'd you learn? It truly is you're looking for that person's trajectory. Did they hit a wall? and they either blame other people for it. You listen for how they talk about previous employers or relationships. Was it their fault? They didn't have the opportunity that they should have been given uh, because how they talk about another, you know, a previous profession or leader, I promise at some point in time, you'll find yourself not exempt from that conversation. You'll be the object of that conversation. And you're looking for that person that says, okay, I've hit a wall and I didn't give up and just move on to something else or something new or something shiny. And, and they've had 12 different careers in a 12 year span. They, they hit a wall. Maybe they even went backwards, but they, they went back to the drawing board, refigured it out and kept moving forward. So you're looking for a trajectory when you're interviewing and you're having this kind of, this kind of conversation. That's so interesting. Lucas, you were saying this last week too. I, I've learned this from the both of y'all doing these interviews. I didn't realize that, well, you would want to be in business with somebody that has really messed up their life. Like, I think that's how you put oh, yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, for me, one of the things I put, and it's not a deal killer, but I really want to know well, the person that I'm thinking about hiring or partnering with or going to business with or recruiting as an agent on a team or whatever it is, I want to know Tell me about a major train wreck, something that like, it wasn't even, I kind of prefer it like not, somebody didn't do it to you. You actually screwed something up. I mean, you were the one who messed up a business. What happened next? Because that's going to tell me an awful lot if I want to be in business. And I also struggled to coach, and I'm sure Coach Drew, you, you've run into this. If somebody has, it's just always come easy to them. There's going to come a point in their, their business path that it's not going to come easy to them. And if they've never developed the muscles to get, to get past that, then I'm going to struggle with them because the roles that I hire for usually have four or five major reinventions in them. And if you've never had to struggle through that, I just can't predict future behavior based upon your history because everything's coming, you know, sales have come easy for you. Building a team's come easy for you. Your P&L's come easy for you. It's like, I'm glad you're that intelligent, charismatic, and smart, but I don't know that I'm going to hire you because I know I'm not going to come easy for you. I come with a warning label. I am ridiculous with standards, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, yeah, so I, I actually want to know, Drew, how did you, I wish I could just ask this. You can't ask it anymore. How did you screw up your life the most? Because I want to know what you did next. Right. Tell me about that time you went to jail, Drew, and then what did you do <laughs> when you got out? You know, <laughs> well, and you know, you're in trouble when they say, well, you got to be more specific, which time <laughs> I, on, your, on your dates, Jesse, just ask them. I want to know about that time you went to jail. What did you do next? 
Look at their ankle. It's just a good dating advice. <laughs> Always look at the ankles. You work your way up, but you look at the ankles. You're looking for any kind of blinky light. Yeah. Does he have to breathe into something when he starts his vehicle? Tell yeah, Cinderella really doesn't need to get home by midnight. She needs to get home before her probation officer calls. Right. right. So, I usually ask if I could send him a disc. That would be so helpful. <laughs> That's awesome. You're such a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, well, let's jump in. So, Lucas. I don't know you at all. Tell me your story. I started so, high school in the most significant period of your life, and then let's kind of work our way forward. Yeah, right out of high school, I went with a, a little independent ministry that's in the Kansas City area. I, when I was 16, um, I was, I mean, I grew up in high school, middle school, as kind of the nerdy kid that I wasn't in the popular group. I wasn't in the redneck group. I wasn't in the athlete group. I was just kind of the outcast you know, we grew up in abject poverty, so all my clothes were hand-me-downs, and so there's a stigma around that, and I was on the lunch program, you know, the federalized, subsidized lunch program, so I got free lunch tickets, and uh, apparently it's a it's a crime to sell those lunch tickets to your buddies, because I was making a lot of money off of free lunch tickets, and so entrepreneurship showed up for me early, and I went, I found out when I was 16 that I could stand in front of a crowd and present, and that was purely by accident, and I got a lot of self-worth from that, and my senior year in high school, I, I think I preached over 56 times in the KC Metro, where was on television, had a TV show when I was a senior in high school, an hour-long you know, live TV show that was terrible, um, <laughs> so that I that I hosted. And, um, and I, I found out that I could speak in front of a crowd, and uh, my faith is very important to me, so I was in a youth ministry for a few years, then I got married and went to college out in uh, Virginia. And came back and was in the ministry world for several years. And, and I was a fan always in ministry of how do we grow? How do we make this thing bigger? How, whether it was, I was youth ministry, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and then as a, a pastor, I studied church growth. I studied you know the psychology behind that. I studied leadership because I authentically believe that there are two things that are the purest forms of leadership is ministry because nobody in the church world has to show up day two or week two and your staff is relatively small so you have a bunch of independent contractors running around wanting to change the world that's a that's a that's a huge leadership task and you have to get them to be enthusiastic about funding your cause and uh, which it's interesting that 20 years of pastoring really adequately prepared me for running real estate offices mm. because I'm sitting in one of mine that I own right now. There's 325 independent contractors who are running around this office thinking they know how to better do this office than the person who owns it and actually leads it. That's pastoring. And so I learned leadership really is, how do I influence people and watch their behavior change? And I think that as I look back in ministry, I was always about helping people access God and access their faith. I hated what... Uh, my traditional church, and I'm thankful for my traditional church background, uh, upbringing. I'm really thankful for it. But there were parts of that philosophy that made it hard to access God and made it hard to go to church. You had to understand their vernacular. You had to understand their language. You had to understand these, you know, why are we standing and singing at a screen, you know, or singing into a book? You know, it's like it was weird to anybody who wasn't in that culture. And as a pastor, I learned that I really wanted to remove any obstacles from people accessing a, a, a God who I believe 
did everything he could to remove all obstacles. And yet it seems like in religion, we, we erect a lot of obstacles to people, which is interesting because Drew, I think that parlayed into my real estate career. Because if I think about, if you synthesize what my vision is, I want to help people access their big life. Hmm. I want to help them access that. You know, I think of it as many people that I've coached and I'm, I'm thinking about exploring deeper levels of coaching. I've been approached several times to coach executive on executive levels, you know, type of thing. But I watch these people who are highly successful by every external category and their ladders leaned against the top of the wrong wall. They get to the top of the ladder like, oh my God, I've leaned my ladder against the top wrong wall. This isn't fulfilling anymore. And so hmm. I think ministry taught me all those things as I learned. And um, so I spent 20 years in ministry. I planted a church outside of Houston. So you go from, uh, I traveled you go from 20 years of ministry. How do you make the transition and what caused you to make the transition into the business world? It, it was awful, buddy. I mean, I, it was... My last two years in ministry, I was flying all around the world doing crusades. Uh, I was very much on the, uh, in certain parts of the church world, on the um, conference circuit. So I was brought in to do 45 minute to an hour long conference and making, and real honestly, making decent money as a pastor, which that's kind of a oxymoron in the ministry. And anybody from ministry that's listening, you, you know, I felt guilty for making $60,000 a year with a family of four kids and, you know, wife. And so. Um, and so in 2007, I flew 125,000 miles. And I, at that time, Drew, I realized I was literally missing every one of my kids' recitals, every soccer game. Uh, we were homeschooling. And I remember it, I was in Andhra Pradesh, India in January of 08. And I had just got to preach it to about 50,000 people in a huge crusade, uh, which it, it, that's a buzz. I mean, anybody who tells you it's not, it's a buzz. I've never been nervous in front of a crowd ever at any time, but afterwards, I literally takes me if especially if I, if I nail it on stage if I if I know I, I nailed it it takes me a while to calm down it's like I could feel it pulsing through my body cool. and so I'll be in the hotel room about one o'clock and I'm skyping my kids which kind of ages me a little bit because we were skyping back in those days and I was telling my son Caleb to do his math and telling Jessica you know don't cheat on your physics and I tell Danielle to practice her violin and, and Whitney was the perfect child. She's her fourth. And if she's listening to this, she's going to tweet that out that I just called her the perfect child. Um, so what were you making? If you don't mind me asking, what, what would you, what were you making? What was compensation as a minister crusading around the world? Uh, yeah, probably a total between pastoring churches and conference stuff, about a hundred, hundred and ten thousand dollars which I felt guilty for, by real honestly, because that felt like a, I was being paid an exorbitant amount of money, especially when I was going to India and seeing, going to leper colonies and seeing people living in, you know, cardboard huts that barely had anything. It's like, I felt guilty for making that kind of money. When did you first and start so making I closed, what you consider guilt money or significant money? Probably 20 years trajectory. There's, there's a lot we're going to skip in this just for the sake of yeah. time. And for the audience it was, it's, it's like, all right, we went from, 20 years to jumping into the business world rather rapidly at what point did you did you look at your income and say wow this is yeah it was last two years the last two years in ministry mm. yeah the last two years in ministry and um, you know there are some people in ministry who do exceptionally well and that usually comes from book sales or you know selling product i was a product selling type of guy uh, the last three years, people were like, we need CDs. We need back in those days, we need CDs. We need some sort of 
uh, swag. We did, so we started developing some, but I, I just, that never felt integrous with me. But I remember that last getting off the stage, Jesse, and talking to that, that group. And I remember Skyping my kids, closing my lap book and said, and it had this voice go off in my head. Camille's guide, you could judge it however you want, that you've gone around the world and played with everybody else's kids. Now it's time to come home and play with your own. Because I realized in the month of January, that's all that parenting would look like. So Drew just had me on a, a leadership call not too long ago. He goes, tell us about Lucas. And you'll hear me. If you ask me, tell me about me. I'm dad of four amazing kids. I've been married for 30 plus years. And the biggest accomplishment, the greatest role I've ever had in life is being a dad and a husband. That, that's where success happens. Because honestly, those are the people who are going to be at my deathbed. The rest of the people who hear me speak or whatever never will. So why, well, why we, would we I need live my life and enrich for... life for them? We need to pause for one quick second. We need to let the audience catch up because they're still Googling what a CD is. <laughs> so that, you know, after they've looked up compact disc and if your vehicle has a, a CD player, then I'm going to assume it's probably paid off. Good job. Um, and and yeah. so now that you've looked at it, it's up, just a small it, record. It's just a small record. Small yeah, record. It's just okay, a small record. Great. Small vinyl. I sent them on another wormhole. What the heck is a record? Vinyl? <laughs> what is vinyl? Well, records are back. Actually, records are all the way back. Are back. Vinyls sure. are back. My son's going on his uh, second international tour with a band for the second time in six months. And they just released a new album. And the first thing they released was vinyl and they sold out just like that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You make the decision for ministry the last two years, you're, you're yeah. making significant money traveling around the world and you make the decision. Yeah. What exactly? Yeah. That I wanted to come home and play with my kids. And so I got home from that trip in January I told my wife, and my wife is the antithesis of me. We just did the Enneagram, and we realized like we're like polar opposites. When we do the disc, we're polar opposites. It's like if you take the disc profile and flip it upside down, that's her or that's me, depending on who's – you just literally flip it upside down. And I'm a ready – yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm very much a ready, shoot, aim type of guy. And I came home and told my wife what happened to me in India. And by the beginning of March, I resigned uh, my church. I canceled all my speaking engagements, except for one in Bakersfield, California, which turned out to be fortuitous. And I said, what now? I watched literally my story is I watched three episodes of House Hunters and said, oh my gosh, real estate would be a really easy career to get into. So I went called a friend at, at Remax and said, hey, buddy, his name was Buddy. Hey, buddy, I'm, I'm going to get my real estate license. What do I do? This is 2008. He goes, go to the school and you know, get your license. So I did. I called him back and he goes, Oh my gosh, you did what? <laughs> I was like, I should have known I was in trouble. And I, um, that, that first year in real estate, well, first five months in real estate, cause it was September. Well, he told me first of all, to go get a job while I was building my, my real estate career, which should have told me he didn't know how to get me into production quickly. Um, and so I went and sold cars for a little bit, which I hated every moment of it because it just, that wasn't me. And the first five months, I did one transaction, $150,000 sale, $4,500 in gross commissions. And by so a year's gone by, and $4,500 is all my income plus a little bit for car sales. So we're $100,000 of credit card debt. And I really am tempted, Drew. Like I'm waking up in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning in panic attacks because my, I was using lines of credit to pay credit cards and credit cards to buy gas and groceries. And so we're using debt to pay debt, and that only works if you're the federal government. So right. we went yeah, from we what we were making in ministry to ultimately now what we're in debt in a fairly yeah, short amount exactly of time. Right. And with no hope and totally scared and thinking that we would be foreclosed on and have to de declare bankruptcy. Then I changed brands from the, the first brand I was at and came to another brand that taught me how to 
do open houses when I said I wouldn't do it. It taught me how to knock on doors when I absolutely said that's not my personality and abhorrent idea. It sh showed me how to come from contribution and value and build authentic relationships. And uh, that next nine months at this new company, I, I sold 32 units, uh, $156,000 at GCI. And um, the next year doubled it, hired a coach, doubled it. Then I had an opportunity to start running real estate companies and um, kind of the rest of the history there. So I love your humility because you can pick it up when you talk about success. I'm traveling around the country. We did this for 20 years. You were ministering, uh, ministering, crusading, making six figures. Um, you say that very quickly when you talked about going into debt for 100000 and borrowing and you talk about the journey and hardship. It, it, it's I can hear you actually slow down in that process. And then once again, I, so well, I bounced it. this out and I, I hired a coach and I just, it's, 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 um, but that's what I know about you is, is you're a humble person. So it's, it's easy to see how quickly you can brush over the things that most people wouldn't do or wouldn't stick with. They would have immediately said, okay, Hey, this whole real estate thing's not working out. Remember when I was on the road making money and now I put us into a hole that's the equivalent size. Let's go, let's go build our way out of it. I also want to go back well, for a second. Um, you said, you know, that you guys, you and your spouse recently took the, the Enneagram and, and you're, you've taken the disc and you're polar opposites. Yeah. And there's that, there's that idea that, you know, opposites attract. And what's so fascinating is in, in really high powered relationships, whether it's interpersonal, uh, intimate marriage, love, or even in the business world. So often it's not the opposites that attract. It's the fact that we are polarized by people that allow us to excel in our strength zone. Mm, so good. they get to live in their strength zone. That's why often like people that are so similar, they end up not working out. And you would think, well, why they're, they're they have so much in common. They, well, you're never given the opportunity to truly exemplify your strengths when the other person has those same strengths. So you end up crossing boundaries all the time. I'm good at that. Well, I'm good at that too. And you end up competing rather than complimenting. Mm. So it's so it doesn't surprise me that you've had that kind of relationship and, and compliment each other that way because you both get to shine and then celebrate each other's successes. That's huge. Awesome. I joke around all the time behind every good man and say, good woman. Nope wrong is a very surprised woman like what the freak did i get myself into it's like what i you know objects may appear closer in person than they are yeah it's like oh my god so she's been on quite the ride quite the ride so so yeah and so i i did well you know did okay for a couple of years as an agent had a small team what was the biggest thing you learned from being a hundred thousand dollars in debt to digging yourself out of it well that's such a good question uh, there's a couple of things, Drew. I, I actually, no one has ever asked me that question. And so I, I love that question. I think number one, I'm not afraid to go into debt now. And with all due respect to the get out of debt quick people out there, I think that's that, it, by the way, is the mantra of the middle class. That is not the mantra of the wealthy. The wealthy know that our entire American economy is based upon debt. Uh, if you hold up a dollar on the back of it, it says this is a promissory note, which means your dollar that you think is cash is debt. So I learned to change my relationship to money that it's just 
what is good debt? What is bad debt? Bad debt is a debt that I pay for. Good debt is a debt that somebody else pays for. And if I could make a million dollars by borrowing a little bit of money at a certain percent and making cash for life. Hmm. So I learned my relationship. So I'm not afraid of debt anymore. I'm not afraid of failure anymore because it, it's, it can't get much worse than that. Um, and honestly, Drew, I think that the other thing I learned then is uh, one of my mentors who said, rock bottom is a myth. Rock bottom is when you just decide, I'm not going to get any worse than this, and I'm going to go do something about it. Yeah, that's and a great point. Because, because, by the way, well, think about it. It's like, it can get worse. I, I, I think we've all seen the movie. Like, I think of Jim Carrey's movie that he was in uh, where, where he became God for a day, you know, with Morgan Freeman. And he was out there in the middle of, you know, the road and says, oh, it's my fiber. It just can't get any worse than this. And then all of a sudden, it just starts pouring rain on him. So the moment we think it can't get any worse than this, it can, or you can make a decision to go do something about it and not let it get any worse than this. And I think that one of the things I learned there is if it's meant to be, why not me? It's up to me. I'm going to go do something about it. And if I have a vision in my mind, that desire came from somewhere, so go do something about it. And I got into action. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was changing brands, Drew, or if it was, I just made a decision. It's just, I'm not going to go any worse than $100,000 in credit card debt. I got up to 225 pounds at one time in my life. And I remember the day I was, I was like, okay, it's not getting any worse than that. This is nonsense. I'm stopping this. You know, it's really? like, I think that it always could get worse. It's just rock bottom is when I said, no more, no moss, no more. I'm not doing this anymore. Well, you're, you're describing the difference between failure and failure. And, you know, you hear, you read books and you hear this idea of fail forward and fail forward faster, but it's, it, it's kind of a, I don't know. I've never really agreed with the principle of failing. And it's, it's, it, it, you're going to fall. When you learn to walk as a child, you fall on average about 200 times before you actually take your first step. So you could say, well, that's, that's failure. No, because you never quit. The difference between falling yeah. and failing is quitting. And there was a, there was a great article. You can look it up and you can look up the difference between failure and failure lessons from a mountain climber. And in this analogy, they share these lessons from mountain climbers that, you know, when you are holding on and gripping the rock, you know, hundreds of feet above, okay, failure is where your body physically can no longer hold and it, and it, and it releases and there's no thing, there's nothing you could do about it. It's beyond your control. You didn't let go. Your, your body gave out. Your physical strength gave out. You did everything you could, and you pushed yourself as far as you could. Failure happens. Failure is the choice to let go. And when you decide, hey, I'm never going to quit, you've made that decision of I'm going to fall. It happens. I'm never going to fail because I'm never going to make that decision to let go. Yeah. That's great. So you're somebody I will absolutely bet on. There are moments, right? And now, I, have, I have a very serious, very serious last question. Yeah. How old were you when you stopped playing with stuffed animals? <laughs> Who said I stopped? <laughs> I've got a grandson, buddy. It, it is excuse to watch all the Disney movies again. It is an excuse to play with toys. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, I I'm looking forward to him being able to talk and interact so I can go do stuff that I just never outgrew. And and, and what is your opinion on garden gnomes? <laughs> Deep thoughts with Lucas. 
I, I think, you know, um, you know, I think I'm going to plead the fifth on this because I don't want this podcast to become divisive. Because I don't want to polarize. I don't want to polarize. polarize I'm anti-cardinom. I'll just come out and say it. Oh, Jesse, can be more political. We're going to receive hate mails. Our Facebook page is going to collapse because the pro-nomers are going to come against you. Hey, I I do envy them. They do nothing except stand there all day. And and then they just, they either get looked at and they get, you know, relished or, or, or disdain. So uh, Jesse and I were talking before this interview that uh, we were talking about interview questions and and how Steve Jobs used to have the most bizarre interview questions to get a person out of their, you know, their zone to un, you know, to unnerve them or rattle them in some way. So we 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 devise it. Hey, going into this call, let's come up with something really, really fun. That, you know, what what would in all seriousness the yeah. Lucas Shredden still plays with stuffed animals? Tweet that one out. It doesn't matter who shows up in your life and how they show up in your life. I'm, I'm going to learn and I'm going to get better. And if I make that my mission, then the money follows, the success follows, the accolades follow. Every, every, life is simply a classroom. I show up as a student. Well, if this mic wasn't so expensive, I'd lift it up and drop it on that note. There you go. <laughs> I'll see great. you guys. That was awesome. Guys. Take care. Yeah, later. Alrighty. See you guys. Have a Bye. great day. Bye.